0: lord i love this stuff but if you want me to get back into it i pray that you would do it and help me figure out how to do it for you and not for myself and so that's different for everybody but like for me that's what i had to do because that's the only way i knew how to do it where it wasn't everything right because maybe that's because i'm a director that i have to really obsess or have a tendency to obsess to do it well
1: listening to the Act 1 Podcast. I'm your host, James Duke. I hope you enjoy our little podcast. If you do, please subscribe to it, review it, share it with your family and friends and all the creatures both great and small. My guest for this episode is documentary filmmaker Brent Gudgel. For 20 years, Brent has been a busy documentary film director with over 300 short form and long form docs to his credit. His latest film, Free Burma Rangers, is in theaters September 13th. He also directed the film Dear Francis, which premiered on Showtime, as well as the show Love and Lakin for Hulu. Brent is the president of Dadox Films, which is a collective of like-minded filmmakers who have a desire to tell genuine stories of how God is at work in the world. Brent is a good friend with a lot of interesting insights that I hope you enjoy. Brent, welcome to the Act One podcast. It's great to have you, my friend. Thanks for having me. It's pretty cool. I am so grateful that you're giving me this opportunity to talk to you. We've been friends for a long time, and we've kind of uh, seen each other here or there. And um, but um, I was thinking about it. It's I feel like we first met. Was it was it like 2000, 2001, one two thousand two? Was it? It was somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah.
0: Were you just out of school? Just out of out of school, I remember being in a small group, and maybe it was your living room. And um, you, we were going around introducing ourselves, and I told you I was a director, and you gave me the funniest look. <laughs> you're you're like really? What do you? Yeah, but what do you actually do? Like, no, I'm I'm directing. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that a lot
1: back then. I didn't believe <laughs> you You were probably the only one that told me at that time you were a director. That was actually a director. Yeah. And you, you were, so where did you go to school? Aziza, Aziza Pacific. Pacific. And, yeah. and it was at that time. So let's start there. So it was at that time, was it through, was, was it while you were a college student, you started, uh, was it when you working on projects
0: with Saddleback Church or something? Is that kind of where you got started? Saddleback was later. That's a cool story, oh, but we can, okay. we can get to that. God did some pretty neat stuff. Um, now in college, like I almost went to art school, but then I decided now nah, I'm going to try to make a, a good living and, you know, choose a safer career. I was always making safe. You know, I was the conservative one in my family <laughs> and God, the, the short version is that God threw a lot of things at me in college that, um, I mean, I, I went to China to film a documentary when I was 19 because like I knew how to use cameras and it was right at the change of technology. And, and so I kept getting opportunities like that, um, because like right place, right time, God just like knew and, you know, and once you get the taste of film and what's possible with it, it's, it's hard to look back. How did you, how did you know cameras
1: at that time? Did you grow up? Always having a camera in your hand, or was it at college or church or
0: something? I mean, a bit. Like you know, my my friends and I had a VHS access to a VHS camera growing up. That you know, we'd make movies about cops chasing down drug lords or something. <laughs> when did you graduate to
1: a three ki- a you know one of those fancy three chip cameras? Yeah, three on, CCDs on mini,
0: on mini DV, right? Mini DV. Well, yeah. The nice thing was when I was in school, uh, they the camera stuff was so new that they didn't have rules yet. So I was using all the school's gear to go and like make money working with clients (laughs) and missions organizations, you know, and they put all the rules in place after, but so so uh, I I started with that, you know, with the school's equipment. So when
1: you, when you, when you were, when you started out, what were the, what were the stories that you were telling? What were the, what were the projects you were doing, working Um,
0: on? I, I'm, I'm pausing because I'm trying to figure out what I'm allowed to talk about. Um, I worked with groups overseas that like can help them tell stories that they weren't allowed to release publicly. And mm-hmm. so they would like take them on a DVD into a major donor's house type of thing, show them these stories and take the DVD with them when they left, you know, so it's, it's like going down a, going down dirt roads with all the blinds closed in the van, you know, and they get you out at the location. So it was things like that. Um, that was, yeah, primarily it was things like that. How did you get, so how, how
1: did a 19 year old kid get connected to those types of, I did a
0: short film that was at a festival, like when Azusa Biola and maybe Vanguard at the time did like a joint film festival. Maybe Mm -hmm. they still do it. Mm -hmm. And there was a marketing guy that needed to hire someone. And so he, you know, he watched all the films and then came up after type of thing. Oh, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. So when you
1: graduated, did you is that what you uh were still doing at the time? You were I doing-
0: was. But and this is where there's a bit of a twist in my journey. Like I was doing it um doing those types of client things with missions organizations and it was really fulfilling, but I was convinced I was going to be a big Hollywood director. And I couldn't wait for all the awesome ways God was going to use me when I became a big Hollywood director. (laughs) And I was, I mean, I was pursuing like my own fame and, you know, my own path. And he gave me some time to go through that. But then he, in his graciousness, I believe like he shut it all down and everything, all of my work. I had some in the industry I was doing and some, you know, outside and all of it stopped. I couldn't get anything. And, um, I went to a church in Pasadena just to design and print calendars. Like I was, I was completely out of film. And, uh, I I knew that's when I I met you. Yeah. Pretty soon after that is when we met and I knew that, um, it had become a God to me. and. So I, I, basically.
1: How did you know? Though that might be that might be an interesting. Let's let's kind of dig a little deeper mm-hmm. with, that with our audience. How did how did you come to the realization? I know I'm asking a pretty deeply yeah. personal question here, but how did you come no, to the realization that that interest had become a god to you?
0: Um, I was unwilling to walk forward with my hands open metaphorically speaking, Hmm. I was trying to make things happen and I was holding on tight to the things that were happening or I was trying to make happen. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe another way to say it was like, I was worshiping like the possibility and worshiping like the opportunity to make things that then people can praise and look like everyone's different but for me, in my mind, it was really hard. Like I came out of school and I mean, I had a a lot of people tell me they liked what I was doing, Mm. you know, and then you keep making content so that people will tell you they like what you're doing. And I couldn't, I couldn't deal. And it wasn't like I was even like anywhere close to famous, but I got enough of a taste of it that I realized I couldn't deal. And I was, and I think God shut it down. And then i'm sure he used people to speak into my life to help me realize it over that like year or so two years maybe after that and i and it got me to a point where i was like okay i'll lord like i love this stuff but if you want me to get back into it i pray that you would do it and help me figure out how to do it for you and not for myself and so that's different for everybody but like for me that's what i had to do because that's the only way i knew how to do it where it wasn't everything right because maybe that's because i'm a director that i have to really obsess or have a tendency to obsess to do it well yeah that's
1: good that's really interesting bro i did you always want to be uh, a documentary filmmaker was that
0: um true stories or no? oh no i wanted to be like spielberg you know me and all the other guys (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you clearly, a switch went off someplace.
0: Uh, and and yeah. maybe well, was that a necessity I mean, what happened, or, or what? But Yeah, it's. I mean, what happened was, you know, I met, so I met Dave Mahanes, my producer that I've been working with for 20 years. We met in Pasadena, like he was, volu- we were both volunteering with the youth group at a time. And um, it, we got an opportunity to go on a missions trip and try to film it and maybe something comes of it. And we had, you know, we had the experience. It's so like, yeah, this would be cool. So we, you know, send letters out like a missions, normal missions trip. We didn't know how we were gonna pay for it, even how to get a camera to do it, because I'd been using the school's cameras before, right? <laughs> and um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, like the day we, we get this call that's like, okay, you guys have to decide in the next day uh, if you're going and if you have the money and we didn't have the money. So we like pray in this conference room. I remember this, we were like pray in the conference room, God, would you provide the money? And the phone rings right after and someone's like, hey, we wanna give you 20 grand to buy cameras and pay for your flights. Stop it. Yes, so we ended up going to Africa and filming a documentary there that, you know, I mean, we kinda knew what we were doing, but probably mostly didn't. We, you know, didn't know more than we did, but we were pointing the camera in the right direction, when amazing things happened. And so the film ends up getting on show time.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is the film. This, I remember this, like you guys went and shot this, what eventually, like you said, was a, like a mission strip and you mm-hmm. ended up being able to put it together in such a way that you created a, f- at first it was a short form doc, right? And then you went back and you had to shoot more and you created a long. Now, form
0: it was thing. just a month, a month shoot. Three weeks of filming and a week of kind of pickups, yeah. And it was a, it
1: was and you ended up creating a documentary that you ended up selling to Showtime. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's called Dear Francis. Dear Francis, yeah, about HIV AIDS about
1: and it. yeah, it's about it
0: AIDS about. in Swaziland. It was around the time when um, this guy named Bruce Wilkinson was doing a lot in uh, the southern part of Africa. I just remember that name? And um, so th- I mean, we followed some kids from Texas that wanted to change the world and they were going to do that by doing an AIDS prevention campaign. And as they get, when they get there, they realize it's a bit more complicated than they thought. Um, but then it ends up being, there's a lot of, of hope that you end up seeing. There's some pretty cool things, you know, I mean, the end of the film's fantastic. It's super yeah. hopeful, which is uh, rare I, for a documentary about AIDS. And so that's why it did well,
1: I think. Okay. So true story. I remember mm-hmm. you telling me about it and i wasn't that excited and i'm sure yeah I, I watched it and i remember walking away going wow like brent's a real filmmaker <laughs> like i really liked it like it, it's, it's probably a su- surprised to me
0: too at the time <laughs> Yep.
1: no i mean it 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 is a um i mean if there's a reason why you were able to you know get it distributed and it uh, because it really is, can people still watch it? Like, is there a way people can still watch it? You know, is it streaming?
0: someplace? I don't know if it is or not. I'll have to look. Maybe there's a pirate out pirate version out somewhere. Yeah, Google it, people Google it. Yeah. We've talked, we've talked about putting it back up on
1: a site though. Yeah. But it, 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 it was the first time I remember thinking, wow, this is uh this is really, um, cause you're right. Like the ending is very,
0: it's very cool. So, yeah, and, and think- what that did for me, that, that film, what I saw in that was that there is a power in being present for big moments in life that have faith threaded in them in some way. And usually, like, we're used to just talking about those things. Uh, and, but if you can get a camera in the mix and, like, the spirit can lead the right place, right time, and see it, like, I mean, it's amazing. So that kind of became at that point, it it like lit a you know lit a fire. We we're like, oh, I wonder if we could try to get good at this. Yeah, if we could yeah. actually do do this, we can, we can repeat yeah. this process. So then Dave and I, so at, we do that film before it's on showtime, before we had the deal, we previewed it for some missions mm-hmm. leaders, flew, flew back from Florida to LA on the flight. So he's still substitute teacher. I'm still working as an assistant at the church on the flight. We're like, huh, I wonder if we could like make a living telling stories like this. I don't know if it's possible. We've never heard of anybody doing it. Uh, let's pray about it. So we pray on the plane. And th- I swear this stuff doesn't happen to me all the time, but like, you know, you're going to get the cool highlights. So we pray on the plane, like, God, would you make it away if we could like make stories like this? Cause we used to be doing it a different way. Right. And we don't know how to do it. The plane lands and he has a voicemail from Saddleback Church and they're like, hey, we heard about you guys. Uh, We need some people to travel around the world and film stories about like the kingdom and faith and, you know, do documentary stories around the world. Would you be interested? I mean, it's crazy. It's like they called right after
1: we prayed. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, So, so here's what I've learned so far from this interview. I need you
0: and Dave to pray for me. Oh no, something will. But I think a part, I think a part of it is just like we gave it all up, and when you give it all up, and then you're like, and so God, what do you want? And He leads you into stuff that is more beautiful than you imagined. And so I never thought I'd be doing documentary stuff, you know, and I, so, I mean, it could change tomorrow. You know, but like to me, that's the bigger takeaway. You, you obviously, as as a
1: storyteller, um, as someone who obviously, as you were saying, had a had a passion to create narrative film. Now transitioning into true story documentaries, uh, clearly you took that approach to storytelling into 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 making documentaries and i'm curious what is it about what is it about your films and we're going to talk about all the different things you've done um it's pretty impressive but uh what is your approach as a as someone who clearly loves story what is your approach to finding that that story inside of 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 a of a of a of a documentary film where you're trying to unpack a true story and trying to figure out how to tell it in acts and how to um mm-hmm. obviously have conflict and have you know dramatic resolution oh you know all these kind of things that we would look into in when it comes to creating a you know a narrative film um how do you take that approach and and do that in in
0: uh in documentary work yeah that's an interesting question um i when i was directing more narrative things previously. Like I, um, loved like most young filmmakers, I loved the visual process of telling the story. Right. I, I love the visuals more than the words and more than the, you know, all the, all the other things that are actually probably more important, but, uh, so I started and Dave and I started trying to just appropriately get ourselves um, into positions where we could film things as they were happening, but try to film it in a way where it was like it was a narrative. So instead of I don't know, I mean, you know, it's so longer like 15 years, but like we I would I would think about it as if it was a narrative that I have to, you know, it's like we just showed up and I have to, to block it and figure out the coverage right away. It's that type of scenario. And so it became, it's this awesome puzzle for me because you're you're thinking of the pieces on the spot based on what's happening, almost like you're filming improv or something, right? Where it's based on what's happening. Um, and so you, it's, the key is first to document what's happening so that people can experience it and make sure you don't miss the moment because you're trying to get something cool. Right. And then fill it in. And sometimes we're successful. Sometimes we're not, you know,
1: I've Do definitely you,
0: missed, missed some moments.
1: And and that's part of the secret, I think, of your films, right. Are capturing the yeah. moment. Right. And, that, and, I think sure. that's the, and that's the magic of cinema
0: itself. Right. But, but yes. I think
1: even for your films in particular, well,
0: yeah. and I'm not really interested in people talk I mean that's like an extreme way to say it, but like watching films about people talking about faith or something. Yeah. Talking heads. I know that about... some people that's really interesting to them, but like I've I've had a ton of people talk to me every week for, you know, decades now. <laughs> like I don't necessarily need to watch more people talking about faith to me. <laughs> yeah, the the talking heads. Um the yeah,
1: it feels very it feels very um uh what's the word i'm looking for antiseptic almost but like yeah. your your films walk with people there's a there's a journey there's a a lived there's a lived out experience
0: yeah absolutely and i i think i don't know it's just more interesting like that's how normal movies are and so why not try to make documentaries that do that you know like
1: How do you do that? How do you do that without knowing the ending though? Are are you, are you, when you sit in the edit bay with all of this footage, are you trying to find, are you trying to find where things are going first? Are you just letting the story and letting the, letting these people, their lives just kind of dictate to you where, where this story is going to go?
0: Well, each one's kind of different, but we, um, I mean, we definitely try to have a plan. So the Dear Francis one worked because there was a beginning, middle, and end time frame wise, because they went on a month-long trip to Africa. Right. Um Free Burma. Um, Free Burma Rangers worked because there's a few key like big scenes that would be tent, you know, in a normal tent pole movie, they would be the end climax scenes. Right. Um I'm doing a film right now though, that it breaks the rule. Cause I don't know where it's going to end. Mm. Um, but I chose the person that I want to follow. So I actually think that it's so weird to talk about, but like, if you're trying to tell stories about faith or that involve faith in some way, it makes sense to choose somebody that if you just get to follow them for a day, like you would be impacted. You know, there's certain people where if you hung out you hang out with them for a day, like your heart's gonna be drawn to God, whether they talk about God very much or not, you know. Uh, and it's gonna be meaningful. And if if you pick people like that, then it's I mean, you're already like halfway there, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, picking the right subject matter is
1: kind of everything, right? Like I've always said yeah. even about even about reality television, I've always said like there's certain shows that i like watching but i i won't watch entire seasons because the cast that they chose those real life people are are not as interesting to me mm-hmm. and I, i'm not necessarily interested i'm not it's not the show i'm drawn to it's the people it's the contestants it's the yeah. real life people you know however it's manipulated in reality tv and so all the more i think for for what you do is there <clears throat> you so you've been doing this for a long time and you've seen the rise uh and popularity of telling true stories, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were talking before I, we started the podcast just about the the rise of true you know like true crime documentaries and things like that are just huge right now on the streamers and things like that um what do you think what do you think has led to that? Uh, I'm curious because you're in this space I'm curious what you think why the over the past five The six years, have we seen such a, uh, um, such a huge interest in, in long form and short form documentary?
0: Uh, Economics and algorithms. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I think a large portion of it is because the gatekeepers have been, you know, greenlighting those things and putting them in front of people. And I think a good story is a good story or a story that hooks you that you want to know what's going to happen is a story that hooks you. And that doesn't necessarily matter if it's a, you know, fiction or nonfiction. Um, And I, I think that there's, you know, I think with YouTube, that definitely changed things like how people started getting used to Having certain access, I suppose, or feeling like they had access to certain people, and you know, a new window into life stories. Um, whether it's in Instagram and all this, you know, whether it's true or not, um, or a reflection of it. But yeah, I think a lot of it. And I don't know. I'm I'm not super fluent in it, but it seems to me a lot of it's just finance and algorithm too of. Netflix everybody pulled their content you know because they were going to do their own streaming services and um yeah for, there's for, a, for you guys and for
1: mm-hmm. and I want to talk, you you guys created created a streaming service before they did you um,
0: um you we know. we experimented with a lot we did the first comedy web series really? do you know this no yeah and a big agency shelved it because they didn't know what to do with it <laughs> we filmed Hulu eventually picked it up, but it was like after the fact we filmed a comedy this is such a tangent We filmed a comedy web series called Love and Lakin with if you remember Christine Lakin she was on what uh um one of the Tgif shows way back when so she's like a child actor sure and okay. so we we filmed this series as if it was her trying to tell her fans around the world, how famous she was, but actually she wasn't <laughs> anymore. And so we filmed it as if like her, like random friends had filmed it. Like and mocking, she's like mocking, almost like, a, like a mock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like sneaking into Jamie Lee Curtis's trailer to try to find like phone numbers of people that, you know, call to help her career. And then Jamie Lee Curtis catches her uh she goes and like auditions for seth MacFarlane, and uh you know it's a horrible she makes a fool of herself you know yeah, yeah we it's pretty funny um but yeah anyway this is such a tangent uh <laughs> it got it got shelved because nobody knew what to do with it and then it got into legal stuff like you know this is common but
1: that was like how, how long ago was that
0: oh seven maybe Two thousand seven. Wow. Oh six. Oh six. Maybe. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, because it's not really a tangent because it kind of goes. You guys created. So, you guys created uh, for those who aren't familiar with your work, they should definitely go check it out. Uh, um, You created a company called Mm Daydocs, and uh, where essentially um, you began telling these true stories of people around the country, and you started offering all these. Essentially, short-form documentaries to churches and to schools and to anybody who wanted to um, use them as a resource, right? And 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 what was the? Talk a little bit about the the birth of DayDocs and and what was the what's the vision? What was the vision behind it and how how it came about and and how what you've seen yeah. as a result of it? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, we as we were getting flown all over the world to film stories for saddleback and then and then for their hiv aids ministry we you meet amazing people that um we're impacting our our lives so much just by knowing them and seeing how they're living in like in life and in faith and um it's hard to communicate those things to your family and friends back home you come home and they're like yeah that's great you're like nice missions trip experience you know You're like no, I think life could really be like this. Like no, this great, great missions experience you had. Um, And so we're like, well, I wonder if we could start a, you know, a business just to tell those types of stories and cut the marketing stuff out of it because, you know, we had a great experience with Saddleback, but they still have a bullet list of, you know, can you film this because of this, and accomplish this type of thing. Um. So yeah, we. And we're like, well, let's do these short, let's try some short documentaries. And we came up with this five minute format, basically. It was right around the same time, Elliot Roush, if you know that name, was experimenting in the same format. And um, I mean, they're great. It was so much fun. We learned so much um, about the craft, so much about our, our lives and our faith and watching these people that we got access to. And then we found that, you know, pastors, if you make good content, pastors were actually willing to show it in the middle of their sermon, even though it was five minutes long. And they would use it, like, in the middle of their sermon as a teaching point, not just a, a funny, you know, creative hook or something. Right. It was That's cool. cool. And are you guys still actively creating content for that? For, we, for the- <clears throat> we are. So we have shifted now our focus into features. And, um, I mean, documentary feature films from a Christian perspective. Um, but but everything
1: you've done in the past is still available on your website. People, it's all still
0: available on the website. Yeah. We did about 30 or, I don't know, 30 or 40 shorts. We started coaching and training some other filmmakers, um, around the world to tell shorts in their local communities as well, and started kind of experimenting with that idea. Um yeah. one of my one of my favorite uh films that
1: you guys made is the one from I think it's I can't remember dates because the pandemic I uh you know as far as I know it's 2017 but um I think you made it like five years ago or something. It was uh it was the it was the um uh the 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 doc on the 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 um uh the check cashing um Mm -hmm. payday uh, loans yeah yeah, the payday the payday loan companies which was really good because i had uh i had seen and and had read a lot of things about um payday loan companies and some of the scams and some of the terrible things that were happening and the controversy um but your film approached it from a faith-based angle of, of christians and churches who are actively trying to help people uh, and saw it as a, as a, as a moral obligation to help people with, with it had become a real crisis. Um, what was the impetus? What was the impetus for that film? How did you, how did you get involved in that project? And was there anything that kind of came out of it?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, dear, so dear Francis came out in 07. Um, we started working with Saddleback after that, and then started day, day docs doing these short films. I didn't do any long form content for, maybe a decade after that. Um, and it wasn't that there wasn't a desire. It just didn't happen. And I think you see a lot of times that happens with directors. You get, you do something that didn't make a living for you, but then you start getting hired to do commercials or whatever, and you get kind of sucked into the machine. Right. But I, I think some of it maybe was that, but also I think some of it was just, we really had a lot we needed to learn about (laughs) what we were doing and, uh, You know you can't always get lucky like dear francis um so the payday loan thing was really me like dipping my toe back back in that longer form water because some catholics and some baptists in austin texas where i was living at the time they they were working together to fight payday lenders and 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 that's a story in and of itself. <laughs> that's a story, yeah. 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 So like huh. <laughs> finally, here's a story that you know what? Yeah,
1: I'll do that. Um, <clears throat> so, you, did you approach them, or did someone come to you
0: and say, "Hey, we want a documentary on this"? I can't. Well, they definitely didn't say, "Here's money. Can you know <laughs> you do a documentary?" <laughs> <laughs> if they say that, usually you want to say no, um, but. <sighs> I don't remember how it came about. I mean, I'm sure it was, you know, meeting people from being in town and yeah, gradually someone's like, Hey, you're, you're a filmmaker. Do you want to hear about this thing that's going on? So you're, so you, you
1: know, this was your transition kind of back to longer form docs. What did you, what did you think that you learned, um, uh, Cause you said you probably wasn't, probably weren't ready uh, to get back into that. You had a lot to learn. What do you think you learned over that 10 year period that prepared you to get back into long form docs?
0: Well, I think, I mean, it's, um, for me, it is so hard to, you have, you have to be like an entrepreneur, right. To do film stuff. Like that's just the deal. And it's hard for me personally to do that and have my hands open so that God can do something or I'm leaving room for him to do something. But like I'm trying my hardest and giving my creative best and also having a family and giving them my best and not my leftovers, right? so i'm still working at all those things but i think that um i'm grateful for that time because it's like you know ten thousand hours type of deal where all of a sudden a lot of the craft becomes second nature um, which makes it then gives me the bandwidth in my mind to you know be able to do more with my family do more with my films at the same time so well, i don't think before i could have that's good. That's
1: really good. The uh working on the the payday loan
0: story. By the way, where, where can people find that document? It's called it's called The Ordinance. The Ordinance. And it's on Amazon. Um I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um yeah, I mean it's about basically these churches in Texas and groups that normally wouldn't talk to each other got together to fight payday lenders or trapping and trapping the poor in cycles of poverty. They're basically just going after the poor to make money. And so. So when you make a document, people went after them. Uh-huh.
1: When you make a documentary like that, obviously you're, this is, so this would be the case. And and tell me if I'm using, if you you feel like I'm using the wrong terminology here, but this feels like a situation where maybe you're coming in with actually a very clear POV. You're not, you're not necessarily trying to find the story here. You're trying to reveal
0: maybe evidence or, or proof. or Yeah. Like... And I mean, my focus is really telling the story of the people involved and then hoping that it would build towards them like passing an ordinance and doing something that, you know, forces the lenders to skedaddle.
1: What did you learn in the process, just in terms of all the, 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 for maybe for those who are unaware, um, what did you
0: learn about the whole payday loan um, companies and all that kind of stuff. Like, what was I mean, the- they're charging like 400 something percent interest a year, but using loopholes to get away with it. It's brutal. You have to pay if you take out a payday loan, you have to pay off the entire thing at once. And if you don't pay it all off at once, they'll charge you a fee every month. But when you get the paperwork, you will think that fee is paying it down. And it's not. So what typically happens is people pay the fee for six months, thinking they're paying it down, and then they realize after six months, wait, I still owe all this money, if not more, because of other fees that you've thrown on it. And so they just get trapped in a cycle. Yeah,
1: and it's they're they're predatory. Like yeah, they. I. What made me interested in watching the doc. Other than, of course, it's your brilliance. Um, But, but I, my, when I, without giving away any names, I, when I was um, head of a company in Florida for a time, I had an employer, uh, an employee who came to me, Hmm. um, who needed some help, and I found out because uh, he would use, um, Mm -hmm. he would use, and I was like, "Tell me about these." and and, sh- and I would notice that they would be, they would be in certain neighborhoods mm-hmm. and he brought in like paperwork one time and showed me what, um, cause he couldn't, he couldn't get a, he couldn't get a bank account. And I was like, I yeah. didn't understand that. And so that's why he would use them. And, and I looked at the paperwork and it showed me, I think it was like one of the interest rates was like 1800%. I'm sure. Yeah, it's like an 18. And I was like, this doesn't even make (laughs) this. Is this real? It's usury. It's supposed to be illegal. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) so the point of the documentary was these these uh, Baptists and Catholics kind of coming together and and working. And so was
0: because their congregants like you, their congregants came to them and kept coming for help. And then they realized, oh, they're trapped in these cycles. Yeah,
1: I I remember telling my employee, I was like, you can't. I was like, "Let me help you get out of this. This just seems like a never-ending cycle of just like perpetual keeping taking your money from you." Uh, like, so what was the what was the result of that film? I was I was always curious after watching it. I wanted to to talk to you. Like, um, uh, was there I mean, long term change? Uh, in yeah, that?
0: like well, different communities around Texas and even in other states were able to watch the movie see a tangible example of you know how the average person can take a stand for something can go to um, lawyers who've been working on it and get paperwork and ordinances and laws and take them to the city council and like actually cause change that protects their citizens and cares for you know the least of these in their community Um, so a lot of a lot of other cities went and did the same passed their own ordinances um and then other other states um it was there was a association of a bunch of faith leaders and non-faith leaders um in dc that um kind of helped through the process helped engage with the process and then and then used it a lot after as well
1: i i wanted to ask you cuz i you 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 have a lot of stories <laughs> because you've interacted with so many people and you've told so many people stories. I know you have seen some pretty amazing things happen behind the scenes. You've tried to capture a lot, but mm-hmm. I know a lot that you haven't been able to capture. Um, so I wonder if you had some stories in particular, I know that you have done a lot of long-term work with one of the missions out here in Los Angeles. So even after you move to texas you would still come out here and your team would still provide to create stories for um the the mission out here uh that they could use and i'm just curious like of the of the work that you've done because i'm sh- i'm sure so much or you know when our audience listens to this i'm sure one of the big take- takeaways from hearing about the stories that you tell is that kind of sense or level of satisfaction, um, spiritual kind of renewal that you must experience Mm. when you feel like you can help tell stories that, you know, will make an impact and help other people. I'm Mm. just curious if you could talk a little bit about how that's impacted your, your own personal life. And then if there are some of those stories that behind the scenes of some of the kind of more uh, dramatic things that have happened, um, in the lives of some of these people that you have filmed, that that maybe you haven't had a chance to tell, um, yeah, for, for maybe some of the subject matters that you've you've covered,
0: yeah, there's a lot to unpack. I mean, <clears throat> I want to I want to tell you this because this is probably informative of my like approach and journey. Like when I was growing up, I like to ask people what if if they had faith in their house growing up, um, what was it that made them? either stick with it or not. And um, for me, I remember very vividly that um, I needed braces and my family couldn't afford it. This is crazy, but this is real. We couldn't afford it. We prayed at dinner and then an envelope showed up on our doorstep for the exact amount that it would have cost to get braces. And so like me and my siblings at that point are like, well, we're in. It's real. I don't, I don't know what else to (laughs) say as much of any questions as I have. And I think a lot of my journey in that 10 years that you talked about, another thing that it taught me or that God has been teaching me and did teach me is, is that I never knew three months out if I was going to like be able to make a living. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's pretty common. Yep. for a lot of our industry right um and yet like in that it can it for me it became a, a blessing in some ways too because um I was more able to take risk for the kingdom not necessarily risk for you know I mean it, it's not super clear-cut but like in general like it it made it easier for me to take risk for faith right or for things that i felt like the holy spirit was calling me to take risk into because
1: and and because oftentimes when you're living like that risk is not a leap it's mm-hmm. a that's it's, right. like, it's a lateral right like that's right like it's a because you're already living in a form of risk that suddenly now if you're being asked to risk something for the kingdom it's more of a lateral move than than a,
0: than a big giant leap that's right. And so, you know, we've been doing this for 20 years now, largely outside of the normal means in the industry. And it's, I mean, I, it feels to me like it's connected to that in some way that like, um, the risk that we felt like this, the Holy spirit, if you believe in the Holy spirit, you know, like I sure do. And I, I feel like the the risk that he guided us into led to the beautiful things ultimately and then every project i mean free burma we had like eight different things like that happen where we didn't know how it resolved if i would have grasped it it would have probably disintegrated or not been good uh could never have caused it to happen just on my own in the way that it ended up happening you know um i didn't i didn't answer your question at all but i feel like that's important <laughs> to understand because it's 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 just like that's the it's not an easy you know it's not an easy industry but because then he helped me get used to that risk i'm not beholden to the industry anymore i'm not beholden to that buyer at netflix who doesn't even want to watch free burma which was the highest grossing documentary last year right Don't even want to watch it or doesn't want to watch the chosen. God forbid how much that might, you know, embarrass them or something. I don't care. Because we're, you know, we got open hands and God's provided all sorts of ways along the way. And he'll keep providing until I go make websites or print calendars again or something. (laughs) 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 And then I'll provide them that way. I love, but I love that answer. I love
1: it because I think it will it's probably freeing for a lot of people who will be listening to this.
0: Because yeah, and it's so hard. Yes. It's the more you have, the more you have to lose. I mean, this is like what Christ talked about all the time. The more you have to lose, the harder it is. Yep. You know? Yep. Well, let's let's talk about
1: Free Burma Rangers because uh, well, one, it's your most recent film and two uh w- when we released this podcast it's actually being re-released in theaters is that right like when's it it's it's gonna do a a a, a national one night only kind of thing is that what's happening it is
0: yeah um September thirteenth they're bringing it back to I don't know seven hundred something theaters for for another night of screenings so one yeah.
1: night September thirteenth people can get their do you know where they have to go? I'll put it in the uh, links. Um, is that Fathom Events? It is. Yeah. Okay. So I'll put it in the link. Fathom Events. You can. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the thing about Free Burma Rangers, and I and I've really been looking forward to talking to you about this film. Um, I uh, so I saw the I I watched the film uh, when you sent me the link. It took me a while to watch it, we laughed about that. Uh, I understand. I <laughs> Um, but I loved it so much. I actually took a group of Act Oneers to it um, when it came out last year, so we contributed to that um, highest grossing. By the way, you're welcome. Great, um, thank you. <laughs> but the reason why I was so imp- I was so impressed by the film because, and I've and I've said this to you multiple times, and I have told a lot of people this. Look, it. it uh, everyone knows, anyone who listens to this podcast or knows me from Act One knows that I'm not a huge fan of what we refer to as the Christian film subgenre um, that, a lot of, that a lot of my friends work in, by the way. And I think it's wonderful, but it's, they're just not films that I necessarily enjoy myself, so I don't go out of my way to watch those films. H- having said that, um, my understanding of my Christian faith, my understanding of what it means to be a Christian. When I watch Free Burma Rangers, I I can honestly say to you, this was the most Christian film I've ever seen. It's the most it is the most uh, Christian film I've ever had a chance to watch and to think about and to to see what 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 appears to me in my kind of limited perspective on on the world um, to be a a powerful visual cinematic representation. Of someone living out their faith in a crazy way and it's it's I, I want people to know not just because you're my friend but I want people to watch this film because it's a really good documentary it's a great film there are parts of this film that play like an action movie there are parts of this film that are truly harrowing and it is, um, I can't recommend this film more highly. It is a fantastic film. And I want to say to you, congratulations. And how in the world did you make it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, praise God, man. Um, it was, a, I mean, it. you know, films like that take a long time. It was a seven-year process. And I got brought on maybe three and a half years into it.
1: What, is that, what uh, does that mean you brought into it? So, so the film was actually started by someone else?
0: Well, um, I guess maybe I was kind of involved. I was a producer for the first three and a half, and we were shepherding another friend. It was, it was through, we had a deal through a production company that went bankrupt when the Relativity Media thing happened. Got it, okay. And um, so we had done some work initially on it, on the Burma part of the film, which is like the first half of the film. And, um, really this other filmmaker, Chris Sinclair, um, had, had been working on it and he had, he had never, he, he said this publicly, like, I mean, we're great friends. Like he had never done a feature before. And he mostly listened to us and smiled when we gave advice and then did like the opposite. (laughs) Uh, and. Then, it, you know, we lost the property because of the bankruptcy with the company and, you know, normal, I mean, it's normal Hollywood stuff. And then, um, <clears throat> after somehow we got the rights back through court for free, which felt like a miracle. Um, yeah, we got it back for free when they were auctioning everything else off. I don't understand it still. Um Chris at that point was just done. You know, he's like three and a half years in. And so then we decided to have me come on to direct and he would co-direct with me. And that so that really started my heavy engagement. And at that point, the second half of the film was unfolding. What um I I mean, the second half takes place in Iraq. And uh that part of the film was unfolding right then. So if if we had just like, you know. If it happened any other way quicker, like we wouldn't have got what ultimately makes it just, you know, like a next level story. It it, it
1: does. I mean, it, and, and not that the, the first half is fantastic, but the shift that, like you said, the shift that happens is, 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 uh, yeah, I want yeah. people to watch the film. Can, can you, can you give people a pitch on kind of, so
0: what is the film about? And- yeah, it's a, it's a U.S. Special Forces soldier that after he got out, he had these skills, right? Like kind of like taken, he's got these skills. And how do I use these skills now that I'm in the real world, you know, the normal world. And he decided to take his young family overseas to the front lines of a war (laughs) and raise his kids there. Well, like like we all do, like we all do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so they were there, you know, for, it's like 20 years, around 20 years. And then they decide, well, how about, all these people that we've basically discipled and brought up to be warriors and like amazing humans. How about we start taking them to other war zones around the world and see what happens and what God does.
1: And the film is a, it's a, it's a, it's a very personal, intimate uh, kind of look at this man and his family, his wife, his children, you see his children grow up in the film uh, in many ways. And, you see the the real-world struggles that they have as they're talking about raising a family because Brent's not <laughs> lying. That he's raising a small family uh, mm-hmm. uh, on in a, in a war zone, <laughs> essentially. And um, teaches
0: her to swim by throwing her in a river. <laughs> don't give up, he yells. Don't give up. <laughs> That's like the perfect Dave Eubank example. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a he like they're
1: they're they make for really interesting characters um yeah. that you like to journey with the people that they work with make for interesting characters particularly that one guy I can't remember his name right now his right hand man guy
0: monkey yeah yeah
1: monkey yeah and um and uh they all make such for interesting characters and yeah. then the journey itself that they go on it is just you just don't see it that's why i say it's so cinematic because yeah um, I don't think you could, you could, this story, this, it's such a big story. It deserves to be on the big screen. So I'm glad that people are getting yeah. a chance to watching it um, at a, at a movie theater. Cause it's a, for a documentary, it is a
0: big, it's a big film. It's a big story. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, you know, so how that second half came together, it's just like a lot of hard work, a lot of really hard work and stress and, a, you know, occasional, like lightning strike miracle moments, you know? It's just a combination of of a lot of those things over a three-year period. And, um, uh, you know, Chris Sinclair, um, it wouldn't be the film it it is without Chris's involvement as my co-director. Evan Vetter came on as an an editor for um, a critical few months to help piece a lot of it together. And tell people how how many hours of footage you guys had to create this thing. I mean, we had 30,000 clips in our edit system. (laughs) It was so much footage that if you watched it back to back, just during normal work hours, it would take a year just to watch it all once.
1: So the my natural... My natural question then for you is: obviously, you know, Chris had started the work. You're coming in now. Uh, What is the process? How do you go through thirty thousand clips to create what eventually becomes? Yeah, well, it's the- your running time, like a hundred minutes, <laughs> like eventually a, a, a hundred minute film.
0: Um, I don't. Yeah, it's somewhere around there. Um. You know, a part of making documentaries about big people, big personalities, Dave Eubanks a big personality. He's like an Old Testament character, you know? And a part of making films with big personalities is complicated in the documentary world because we're all people with desires. And um, And there's a negotiation, there's trust and negotiation involved in that in documentary space. And so with Dave, he had certain things. He's such a good storyteller. He's such a good storyteller. And often, even if he's irking you, the thing that he irks you about, he's actually right about and you know, like the spirits doing something. So um, a lot of it, first of all, was was just shaped by like, he wanted to talk about certain things, you got to hear this story. And then he wouldn't talk about other stuff. So that starts to hone it down about what you can or can't do. Like it didn't make the film, but it, you know, it's like, well, okay, now we only have actually a three hour, four hour possibility for a movie, you know, to work from. Um, yeah. And then you just grind it out <laughs> over a few years, try to, you know, cut together the key scenes and then try to figure out how to make it meaningful and fill gaps. But then there's, there's other points. So Evan, um, I'll t- I mean, I'll, I'll use his name with it. Like Evan and I are editing at one point and we, <clears throat> we didn't really have like an emotional turn in the middle of the movie. Um, we didn't have, at, at that point, we didn't have something also to justify. Um, is he just there on his own accord? Cause he thinks God told him to go there, but like, really, really? So. Evan finds this story about a general, an Iraqi general. And it's, it's like, I mean, Dave Eubank, like he basically says, <clears throat> he shows up, nobody knows him in Iraq. This is the type of guy he is. He shows up, no one knows him in Iraq, but he's like, well, God told us to be here. He like gets shot on the way there. And then he meets, gets in a meeting with the general and the general's like, who are you? What are you doing here? Dave tells him, well, we're here to help you. How can we help you? And then he's like, you know what? I feel like I'm supposed to pray. And then he he feels like he's supposed to get on his knees and pray. And so he gets on his knees and prays, gets up, and the general's like, wow, you're just like us. You have a fear and respect to God, just like us. You can go anywhere you want in our country. Amazing. So like Evan finds this example. We're like, wow, I don't know how we would ever illustrate that. We have 30,000 video clips. I don't even know if that, you know, how would we ever find that? It's not all sorted. We haven't even sorted it all because it would take so long. So we're like, well, let's edit. Let's work on something else. So Evan moves the cursor to go work on something else, and I am not kidding you. The computer goes boom, right on a shot of General Mustafa when Dave Eubank like did the prayer thing. Crazy. That is crazy. Yes. There's, there are a few other points where we're editing. I'm not like charismatic. I don't go to a charismatic church. There are a few <laughs> other points where we're editing. And like I would drop a clip on a timeline, like an interview clip, some of the, the audio from the end of the film. I would drop it on the timeline. And before I even watched it, um, I just started crying. Like, because the air in the room gets thick and you're just crying. Wow. Right. So, like, it's, it's an amazing project because. Like yeah, we gritted it out. A lot of it was super rough on us and our families because of the amount of stress involved. You know, a lot of it was Dave Eubank. A lot of it was just like crazy things like that happening. I mean, it got funded through crazy things like that too. It's just God had a plan.
1: What was the prop? You know, for the filmmakers out there of the of the seven years, how much of that was spent editing? How much were you in? How long were you in the edit? sweet trying to get this film finished that's a
0: great question um maybe a year to year and a half when you include finishing well wow. um,
1: Because for some people don't realize like some of the f- when you see it some of the footage that's used in the film
0: mm-hmm. they
1: shot not you guys right? tons of it yeah. So, yeah so you so they're you, you guys are using footage that the free Burma Rangers shot. Cause it's a part of their work. When you watch the film, you'll understand. They explain what exactly what one of the purposes of why their organization exists in Burma. And, um, and so you were able to use a lot of that footage. So it's not even footage that you guys knew because you would have known what you shot. You're, this is stuff that someone else shot. You're having to go yeah. through. And um, so as you're sitting down, it's, it's a, so it's a, like, it's at least a year. To to go through all of this and edit this, which I don't think people realize how long it takes to edit a documentary like this.
0: Yeah, and you—I mean, even as a filmmaker, you always— under, at least I always underestimate. You know, yeah. the the joke with me and my friends is it's like, you know, how many final cuts have you had, type of thing. You know, I'm I'm sure this is it. I'm just going to go show this to some friends and see how they feel. <laughs> I'm sure I'm this sure is.
1: A, I'm sure you have a seven-hour version, a four-hour yeah. version, a three and a half-hour version. A, yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> the peter jackson <laughs> version with the 10 alternate yeah um yeah the so uh what has been the reaction i mean you've heard you heard my reaction uh what has been the reaction of the film so far uh
0: you said it was the highest i didn't know that it was, so it was uh, it, the highest yeah i mean by gross. by technicality because it was the highest grossing january and february and then theaters shut down. you shut down. So, by, so you won by the, but you still won. Uh huh. <laughs> but we did it. Um, I mean, after the screenings, we we got word that probably about in about a hundred theaters. So I it was maybe in five hundred or so theaters that, for a few nights, and we got word that in a lot of theaters, people just sat there afterwards and were like stunned and strangers got together and started praying like they got in circles in theaters and prayed together (laughs) i don't know i mean yeah like um you know dave eubank gets emails all the time from people about how they were personally you know they were impacted um it's all i mean it's so cool and it it's such a unique story to be able to be a part of. God used so many people along the way to get it to become what it is. And, um, yeah, like I mean, it doesn't make a lot of it doesn't make sense either logically. No, like when you watch the film, I agree. The, I agree. The last third of the film is not a normal structure. Mm. Like I, I fought for what we ended up doing because I just felt like that. There's a scene that I felt like had to be in it and the normal structure would cut that scene. But what ended up happening, and I don't understand, I still don't understand it, but what ended up happening is that you're like stuck in your seat and the Holy spirit is like moving. And I mean, I'm, I'm okay with saying that because that's what happens. You're like stuck in your seat and you can't, un, can't fathom what's happening on screen is what's happening, you know?
1: And that is God a, is a part of this. Yeah. It's a film that you should watch with other people. You should watch it with other Christians. You should wa- watch it with people who are not Christians. You should watch it with people who are open to faith. You should watch pe- watch it with people who have no faith. Because as a film, as a cinematic experience, it plays phenomenally well. Just as a cinematic experience, sitting down to watch a documentary about a unique person telling a unique story. Um, like I said, there's parts in it that play like an action film where you are just at the, you're on the edge of your seat.
0: Yeah. They're running mm-hmm. behind tanks. Yeah. <laughs> they're and running the, behind tanks. There's 5.1 sound, you know, yeah. Yeah, the sound, real deal.
1: yeah. real deal. And then, but then you add to that, you add to that the, the layer that you're talking about, which is, it's not just a film. This is there, there's, this is about, uh, people of real faith, trying to live out that faith. And it challenges a lot of, I think it challenges a lot of assumptions. It it brings up a lot of questions about what it looks like to live out your faith and to walk it out. Like these are all good things that good cinema should do. Hmm. And, um, and it's just a, it's a testament to I think a a lot of the work that you have put in and your team have put into making documentaries up to now. And so I, I, I say bravo to you and and I say bravo to your whole team and Dave and, um, and I look forward to, you know, your next film. Can you, can you try not to, um,
0: almost die in the next film?
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, there are a lot, a lot of people more brave than me on this one (laughs) that that played that part. (laughs) Um, sounds good though. That's a deal. (laughs) Your wife
1: told me to tell you that. Um, Sure. (laughs) What's the, um, for you, for you as the filmmaker, for someone who sat with the film for seven years and now seeing it come out, seeing people experience it, getting to now it's coming out again, um, what do you want people to take away from this film? What what what, what was what is your hope that people get out of watching
0: Free Burma Rangers? Well, I mean, my heart actually initially goes to the you know this interview and like other other filmmakers that might be listening. And I mean, my, my hope is that if you watch it, that you would see, like if you get in the stream of what God is doing, it's, it's like s- so much more beautiful than anything you would have written. And it's worth the risk, you know? I mean, we weren't like, it's, you say seven years cause it was technically, but, it's not like it was seven years of full-time work. It was really six months of full-time work and then a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, cause that's kind of how it works. But for the, um, and I, and I think that that's a testament then to like, again, just trying to take faithful, the steps in front of us, open hands. And like, I mean, I told you a story about editing and like, you know, funding was similar and it's just God, making the space and trying to seek if he's doing something to follow it. And that for me, at least it's, it's worth, if a filmmaker hasn't done that, it's worth praying into it and seeing if he wants them to do it because it's, I know how exciting that process is and I know how much they'll love it. Um, Now, as far as what do I hope audiences get out of it? I mean, I hope that they get just an awesome example of, what's possible in faith. And not like I'm gonna go accomplish something. Dave Eubank isn't just, you know, a crazy man, but he's doing things and like going and, you know, running behind tanks because he's convinced God wants him to. Which is pretty controversial, you know, that's a whole other yeah deal. That's Absolutely. like, you know, um But that was, that was what I was alluding to with the the question that the film brings up, which I think is, makes for good, good. Yeah. And Dave, you know, Dave knew that was important. It was so important to him. And so like, you know, Vice and HBO tried to get the rights to his story and he told him no, because he knew that they would cut that part out of it and they would take, make the motivation, some personal thing, tragedy from his past that he's trying to recover from, right. Trying to make right. But it's really because of what Christ is doing in his heart. He's doing these things. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think it's probably important to say that like, so free Burma has been such an awesome experience and it did so well in theaters and we didn't get paid because of like COVID and normal Hollywood shenanigans. Right. And so you think you make it, and it like it, it's just zigzag. But because we knew God had been a part of this thing and the amount of money that it made, like our cut was actually going to be the exact amount of deferred pay. It was gonna be the exact amount of the pay that was deferred. And then we didn't get the money because they didn't pay, because they, you know, spent it for cash flow and then didn't, you know, whatever. And maybe it'll come, you know, there's legal stuff going on and whatever, but God took care of us. And it became different and I think even better afterwards, mm-hmm. over the year, like after it came out in the theaters. But right. it wasn't like the straight line success, man, made it. Right. Grossed so much, right. we did it, you know? Right. It It was, yeah, it was different. And the only way that I was able to navigate that, like personally, like and Stay Sane was like, well, because I knew God had done the whole thing. Yeah, yep by the way, that is
1: one of the most common threads from the people that I interview and the people that are Hmm. part of the act one faculty. And um, one of the most common threads is what the industry would consider the height of success is oftentimes not what it appears to be. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And almost always, it is not what it appears to be. And, and I think that that is a Great reminder that you can you can do great things with your art. You can you can do great things as a filmmaker and as a storyteller, um, and might not reap uh, the kind of benefits that that you think you are owed. You you might end up reaping something even better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know that's easier said on this side of things. I'm sure when you were when sure. the check what wasn't coming through in the exact moment. <laughs> You know, it's a little bit more difficult. But I think that goes to your kind of greater point, kind of to segue back to what we were talking about before. Um, and kind of a good place for us to close our conversation is this idea of risk. And mm-hmm. and filmmaking, there is always an inherent risk built into filmmaking. And there's also an inherent risk built into being a Christ follower, built mm-hmm. into, into living a life of faith. And, uh, and I think that... You know, your films and your career has you've really shown that. And like you said, three months from now, you know, we could all be you, We could all be baristas at Starbucks, um, <laughs> you know, and um, and it's but by the grace of God, go all of us. And um, having that having that spirit of gratitude and humility um, really um, helps you make it through kind of the lean the lean years and the lean time.
0: Yeah, it's awesome.
1: Well, I appreciate you, my friend. Um, thank you for your stories of risk and your stories of faith and uh, your stories of real human beings uh, trying to figure out this thing called life. Um, and I'm just grateful for you. And I I, I like to um, close our um, podcast by being able to pray for our guests. Would you allow me to do that for you? Today? Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just um, thank you, thank you for Brent, thank you for thank you for the stories he tells, thank you for the life that he leads, thank you for how he represents you, and we acknowledge that it's not easy, and we acknowledge that there are more days than not he wishes he could start over. <laughs> and uh, we are far from perfect. Uh, and uh, But I know that uh, Brent's faith in you um, requires and demands of him to get up and try again and to forgive himself and forgive other people. And um, thank you for his humility. Thank you for his honesty. Um, And God, we just pray right now a blessing upon his career and all the projects he's working on, God, we pray that you would continue to use him as an instrument um, uh, to amplify your voice and your stories uh, for your purposes. And God, we pray for his family, a blessing upon his family, and pray you would protect them and watch over them, and um, just thank you for this day and um, this chance to be able to connect, and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, in your promises we stand. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Act One Podcast. Celebrating over 20 years as the premier training program for Christians in Hollywood, Act One is a Christian community of entertainment industry professionals who train and equip storytellers to create works of truth, goodness, and beauty. The Act One program is a division of Master Media International. To financially support the mission of Act One, or to learn more about our programs, visit us online at actoneprogram.com. And to learn more about the work of Master Media, go to mastermedia.com.